If there's one thing that Texans love, it is Texas. They actually love it. Uh, they're very, very gung-ho about Texas. And Texans love Texas so much, they will actually drink bad bourbon if it's actually made in Texas. Because they love Texas that much. <laughs> and I think that as we... Bourbon, bourbon brands last a long time. They last, a lot of them last longer than religious denominations. They last a long, long time. And so for us, it's all about making sure that Still Austin as a, as a brand, as a whiskey, as a symbol of who we are as Austinites, and that those can continue on in a way that inspires a sense of pride in who we are. We see ourselves, we see the best of ourselves, and we're inspired by our community of people around us and everyone we aspire to be like. Welcome to Austinpreneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on this show were set. Learn more about us at CapitalFactory.com. I'm excited to, to, to welcome Chris Seals to the stage. Welcome, Chris. Oh, and by the way, feel free to post this on social media. <laughs> Do you remember the first glass of whiskey you had? I actually don't. <clears throat> you told me that that was going to be like your plant question, and I was like, what is the first time I ever had whiskey? Thank you for I actually honest. don't, but I do know the first time I ever had like a distilled spirit, I was 13. I was with my dad, and we were on vacation, and we actually had cognac. Oh. So my, I actually kind of came into this through French, cognac. Brand, through French brandy. Now, where does cognac live in the in the spirit world. So in, okay, so there's 200 years of history of making bourbon, and maybe more than that, in the United States. Mm -hmm. And there's about, so like the, the, the father of bourbon is Scotch, which is about 340 mm. years old. And then the Scotch kind of figured it out from the French. There's a, a little over 600 years of tradition in uh, Cognac, in the town of Cognac, mm. making brandy. And then the oldest tradition is Armistice. So it's 950-something years of tradition. So it's like 1,000 wow. years almost of tradition and making aged distilled spirits. Wow, that's, fa that's fast. Do we know what culture it came from? Or 900 years ago, who was making these spirits? Oh, that, now you're kind of going into an area that like, is kind of prehistory. Right, uh, yeah. We don't yeah. really exactly know. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. that they've been making it for a very long time. Right, right. My, one of my co-founders at Still Austin recently put out an awesome book uh, on the history of distilling in Texas going back to the Spanish conquistadors. Mm. Yes. Very fascinating. We had a, a group of Spanish executives in here today, which they're here to talk, get, yeah. get into. But that, so that's where Texas whiskey began. Yes. Where did Still Austin begin? How, how, how did you get into this journey of 
well, one is how did you decide to make the jump into whiskey from becoming an economist or, and, and, and then what's happened since then? Yeah, so um, most, most of my career, I was a risk manager. Very boring job, but someone has to do it. Yes. Kind of look at how bad right. things can get. Right. That's what I got paid to figure out. And I, I, I did a lot of feasibility studies, so I can, that's kind of a fun part of what I did because you kind of get to kind of being a jack of all trades and mm-hmm. learn a little bit about different things. Right. And so the way I kind of came into this my dad retired now, it's been 11 years ago, my dad retired. Have your parents retired yet? My father just retired, yes. How's it going? You know, I, I mean, it seems, seems decent. <laughs> I'm asking the questions here, Chris, come on. I, I didn't. My dad was in a retirement crisis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He yeah. was very bored. Uh, he had nothing to do. Uh, he was driving my mom crazy, and he came to visit me, and he said, I've decided I want to start a craft bourbon distillery, and I want you to help me. <laughs> been decided. It's been decided. Um, and do you, I don't know if your parents had this, but like my, my dad always had like three ring binders, and he would always put like his work like in a three-ring binder. Yeah, yeah. He had a full three-ring binder that was a business plan for starting a bourbon distillery, which he presented to me. (laughs) Sweet. And um, What was the format of that presentation? It was uh, some Excel uh, spreadsheets that had been printed out, some brochures of stills that he'd collected, and kind of a general idea of his plan, which helped me to kind of get a little bit of a sense of how this category and industry works. Mm. And I have, I have done feasibility studies on so many ideas. I've done it on a lot of things. Sure. And this was actually the worst idea that has ever come across my head. <laughs> <laughs> Access to deal flow, you know? Yep. It's like, it's, you gotta cut, you use the family. I was looking at this and I was like, this is a, this is an ex, a remarkably bad idea. <laughs> um, you know, all the risks are kind of stacked. Yeah. You, if you want to start a bourbon distillery, you got to be able to make bourbon, which we actually don't know how to do. Um, if, you, if you're going to make it, you have to actually build a distillery, which we don't know how to build. You have to make it and wait for a long time. That takes a lot of time and money. If it tastes good, hopefully, then you have to create a brand and try to sell. That just sounded like a terrible idea. So I... Like when I was working as a consultant, I used to try to define the problem for all of my clients. Like in a proposal, I would always have a section that was like understanding the problem. Right. Yeah. So this is the problem that I saw. My dad is bored. Yeah. Uh, My dad is in a late life crisis. Yeah. My dad wants to spend time with me. So the solution that I put forward was basically to create a junket and cut my tax bill. <laughs> and I said, Dad, I think we should do a proper feasibility study on whether or not Austin can support a craft bourbon distillery, hmm. which I actually thought was going to be nothing but we're going we're gonna to buy every whiskey we want to try. We're going to drink it. We're going to travel. We're going to need to visit distilleries. 
We're going to take whiskey classes. We're going to have a lot of fun. And those problems you stated would have probably been solved. Was yes. The hypothesis. Yeah. That was yeah. my, well, Maybe. the actual, yeah. I, I thought that my dad would kind of discover gardening or yeah. like, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so I thought, well, okay, let's give it a shot. And we started doing it. And I tell people this all the time. And so I'm very, I maybe even told you this. But I think it's a very good piece of advice. After a few whiskeys, you can get some shit off your chest. <laughs> if, if you need to get something off your chest with your dad, my product will actually help. Right. Uh, right. It does. The, after doing this for a while, we were talking mostly about our feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Which is pretty, that was pretty intense. Yeah. You don't do that with your dad very often. No, no. Um, and so it kind of, it actually started to kind of form like a new relationship between us, which I was actually loving. Right. Um, and so we kind of got to the point where it was time to kind of wise up. Like we've done the research. <laughs> <clears throat> we've discovered that these businesses lose money, not just for a few years, but a few decades. And so, you know, it might be difficult to make it feasible. Right. Um, and then we kind of got more lucky than anything. Uh, state laws in Texas changed. And right. that made it more feasible for Texas to have its own whiskey industry. Now, how do they change? Talk us through that regulatory evolution. Yeah. The, the first change was if someone came to your distillery, they could drink your whiskey. Mm. It was Imagine shocking, that. but actually that wasn't allowed before. D to C. D, well, direct yeah, not, to we're just talking hearings. about drinking. Drinking. Direct to lips. Right. Direct you can to drink lips. it. Yes. No, pa no packaging. Second thing, people could pay for it. Yes. Oh, and they could even buy up to two bottles of your and product got it. at your distillery. Got it. The third thing that changed was they allowed distilleries to trade spirits with each other, which is kind of a, it solves a problem that's pretty common to the bourbon industry. Because when you make your forecast, you're making it for like 10 years. Hmm. So you're, you're either going to make too much bourbon or you're going to make too little. And so there's been a long-standing tradition of barrels trading between producers in Kentucky. Mm. But they made that possible in Texas. And you could even do it tax-free. Like a secondary market. Secondary market for bourbon or for spirits. Yeah. And the last thing was they allowed bourbon to go into barbecue sauce. Ooh, I like yes. that one. It was amazing. The industrial food bill. Uh, you could start to put your bourbon into food. Now, what's your recommended use of bourbon in a barbecue sauce? <laughs> We're going to have to have a few whiskeys so, for me to right. really get into that. When we start to talk about barbecue, you're kind of moving into like a sacred ground. I can't really talk freely. It's kind of almost a religious topic. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. And I'm, I'm in the church. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. They, they know. They, trust they, they know. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of out there drinking with your dad. I, I was drinking with Drink my dad. with your dad, yep. bonding with your dad, talking about your feelings, and Texas legislation happens, world changes. Do you remember the moment where you're like, oh, shit, we got to go for this now? Or like, how did that, how did you decide to take the dive into the distillery? I kept thinking, like, 
the, the shoe's going to drop here in a minute. Like, Dad's going to kind of figure it out. So I had to kind of just, like, play along, right? <laughs> Whenever he discovers gardening, that's when it's going to be, yeah. be over, right? Yeah, yeah. And so as we kind of progressed, I kind of found myself kind of swept into it. Like, it, you know, you, do, you go as far as you can, then the next step is you've got to, maybe you've got to raise some money. Yeah, right. We actually, we actually raised money here at SeaTan, right. but they used to meet here at Capital Factory. Right, Central Texas Angel Network. They are yep. still here. They, are, okay. they had a line out their door this afternoon. I could believe it. Yeah. I could believe yeah. it. Great. That, and that's how I got reconnected. Well, first initially connected, I came to a visit of Still Austin when SeaTan yep. was, was helping you raise money in 2018, 2019. And then in December, we were back there. And yeah. I was like, man, this is like... It's like, like a prime spot to raise money, like prime product for raising money. We're going through is your, your spot and, you know, enjoying whiskey. You're showing us this massive operation. You first want to serve it, then right. ask for money. Right, serve it and yes. then ask for money. <laughs> yes, no, yeah. Oh, you don't have to tell us. That. Yeah. We, we, we get that part. But, okay, and so... You, yeah, so we, we yeah. got to that point where we were trying to raise money. And we refer to that... A friend of mine said this, and I really liked it. He was like... You're really nothing but two guys in a chart. And that's really all we were. We had beautiful charts. You had a binder. And a binder, and but three, the, full that's three, true. I mean, that's a lot more than like, a lot of these folks have. I was like, <laughs> But we really had nothing. We don't know anything about whiskey, right? So yeah, we're, yeah we're right, right. Just kind of, you know, we've got some people on our team that do. Helps. That helps. But that does help. Um, but we, I, I'm just going to tell you, people loved our charts. They actually did. Now they love our whiskey, but back then they just loved our charts. All those feasibility studies paying off. Yep. Nice. They, they, they even gave us, we raised like a million and a half, and we had, we had no revenue. We had no place to build our distillery. We had no exact plan of how we were going to do it, but we did have our three-ring binder. Yeah. And we, we also had made some illegal whiskey in our garage. Nice. And so nice. we could serve that. And it was, um, it was tasted good? Like, I would say we've exceeded it yeah, now yeah. Uh, in quality. Okay, all right. So you get the funding. Like, yeah, what, got, what does it take? The, how much funding did you raise to like, launch the distillery? Like good, proper, kind of just, just first, first stab at it. We raised about a million and a half of equity. Yeah. And then... We decided to personally guarantee a loan for about the same amount. Mm. So that gave us three million to kind of get started. Nice. And was that a, like a SBA loan or what kind of? We went through the SBA process, mm -hmm. and I won't tell you what bank this was, but if you tell, if you ask me later, I'll tell you. But at the end of it, like we went through all the process, and they just said, you know, the SBA is kind of a pain in the ass. Why don't we just give you the loan? Mm. ourselves really yes huh and so we so that's how they did it it, nice. was, it was great so you like went in the sba door i've but always been more, out some other door i've always been more lucky than smart yeah well, yes luck, luck is a key it is ingredient. a very, it's a very big ingredient right. yes so i want everyone to know about nancy and the order of nancy and, and this this angle of your of your business and and your whiskey can, can you tell us about that yes well, as you know, we have, we have two Nancys at Still Austin. Right. I do know this. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. One is our Still, right. which right. is 50 foot tall and is named after the lead character in the film The Attack of the 50 Foot Woman. 
And you haven't yeah, that's no. a, it's a great I think I film. might have been drinking whiskey when you talked this over the, at the tour. I don't so I would not describe it as a cinematic masterpiece, <laughs> but it, it's very memorable. And if you want to see a 50-foot-tall woman, it's it's pretty incredible. Right, right. How they, how they yeah. did that. In, yeah, in, I in, might in, watch that It's later. a cult film. Yeah. It's great. All right. Highly All right. recommend. All right. But we needed to name our still. And our still is very unique. Mm-hmm. And I felt like Nancy was a good name for her. She came from a, a place called, if you read it, you'll say Forsyths. But they actually say it Forsyths <laughs> in Scotland. And... They have been making stills for between three and 400 years, but they don't know how long. Mm. But in all their time, they've never sent a column still to America. And so we work with a guy named Mike Delavante to design the still. He's very experienced. He's very experienced. He had 53 years of, of experience when we met him 10 years ago. Mm. And he's actually working on a little project for us again with 63 years of experience. He's very experienced. Wow, incredible. But he, he kind of designed a little bit of a masterpiece, and we had it made by Forsyth's, and came over across the Atlantic, and she has been making great whiskey ever since. Wow. And so I hope that she'll continue for a long time. And was it, what's the logistics behind getting a, a 50-foot still from Scotland to, to Texas? You know, it was the first time they'd done it. Right. So um, we had right. to kind of figure that out together. Sounds expensive. Um, it was not cheap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was not. Um, they didn't get lost, though. Uh, Good. It took a little longer than we didn't, thought. Yes. And they, they, had, they had taken her apart in pieces and put her in a couple of containers. Yes. And then you uh, and, assembled it. And then and we were able to put her back yeah. together again yeah. on this side of the pond. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's our first Nancy. That's first Nancy. I actually did not know that. I, yeah. I, I probably should have been listening. That's better, okay. But the, yes, this that's, is very important. Yeah, tell me things. A I'm going to tell you this because in a minute I'm going to give you some special advice. Okay. To just remember about Nancy the still. Okay. So the other Nancy is Nancy Fraley. Right. And Nancy Fraley and I have become really good friends through this. The Nancy and I met. Nancy's won more awards for her whiskey than anybody worldwide. Full stop. There has never been any person that has blended more awards, award-winning whiskeys than Nancy. She was a ghost blender through most of her career. Yeah. She worked for yeah. a lot of the Kentucky bourbon. Right. Uh, so like a ghostwriter, but for bourbon? Yes. Yeah. Like a ghostwriter for bourbon. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. About 10 years ago, when my dad and I were kind of goofing off, we took a whiskey class with Nancy. And she... You know, at the time, she had just, we didn't know this, but she had just quit Mm. uh, working for a big, well-known bourbon brand and had decided to go out on her own and teach people about how to make whiskey, how to blend it, and uh, how to maintain quality and things like that. Yeah. So we took this class. It was a week-long class of learning all these things. So by the end of the class, I was convinced we'll never be successful in this. (laughs) (laughs) She, she knows everything that we need to know. Yeah, uh, yeah. She knows more than we will ever know. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, we, we really need this woman on our team. And I talked to my dad about it. And he was like, I completely agree. <laughs> and so we, I approached Nancy and I was like, Nancy, it's, we're, we're kind of at the beginning of Texas whiskey. And we want to make something really special in Austin. And we would love for you to be our, our, our master blender, master nose, master distiller, whatever that role is. We'd love for you to, to be that for us. And she was like, 
no, thank you. <laughs> she was like, I was like, no. Because um, I was like, well, you just changed jobs. You should be looking. You're probably looking for something. Right. She was yeah. like, I'm, I'm really not, not looking to join a, a company right now. Right. And I was like, okay. Well, would you be willing to consult with us? And she was like, what you're wanting to do, it's not easy. But I will consult with you. But I'm not going to become your master blender. And I was like, all right, sounds good. So she laid out like all the things we had to do. She guided you. She yeah. Gave, she gave us. I would not say she guided us as much as she told us what was going <laughs> to, yeah. what we were going to have to do, and it was pretty extensive. It was a lot. Um. And, and, and she's very much like a traditionalist. Mm -hmm. She kind of sees beyond just the, the technical aspects of how our tongue experiences mm -hmm. a liquid mm -hmm. uh, or a spirit on our, mm -hmm. on, like she knows a lot more. Right, um, right. And she's kind of a romantic too, but um, she, she laid out like all the stuff we had to do. And fortunately we had no idea what we were doing. So we were like, okay, that's, our, that's all the stuff we gotta do. So she introduced us to Michael Delavante, and she said this still probably needs to come from Forsyth in Scotland. And, and she, she laid out all the stuff hmm. that we had to do. And it took about 37 months. To go do it? To do it, To yes. do it. Yes. And so you, you acquired this knowledge. You're like, I need, like, Nancy has this whiskey knowledge that's, that's in a lot of ways the keys to... You, the, the, the business plan that your dad put together in a three-ring binder. Yep. And she laid it out. You executed on it. What, like, and then how did you become so successful? A big part of it is the people, to be honest with you. I think that all whiskey is a expression of who we are as people. Mm. It's kind of a, a uh, it's cultural symbol. And you can kind of see it like in, in almost every, you get a sense of Ireland from right. Irish whiskey. Yeah. Uh, we had to kind of define, you know, who, who are we as Texans? And I think Nancy uh, kind of influenced that a good bit. Yeah. She's the one that, that told me that. And it kind of stuck with me. If a mis what she told me is if a whiskey's really well made, it will have a taste that comes from your place, if everything mm. comes from your region. But it will also give a sense of the people that you come from. Mm. And I really like that. Yeah. I kind of leaned into that. But, you know, I think that to bring it back to your question about the order of Nancy. Right, right. You know, we, we got to that point where we're beginning to make our whiskey. And we've done, which this was not easy and was very expensive. We had to raise money a couple more times just to finish building the distillery and then start making whiskey, which we, we've been losing money ever since. But... The, we were losing more then. And so I was like, okay, we really need to get her to help us now, you know, go to the next level. We've built the distillery, but now we need to make really good quality whiskey. Right, right. So I asked her to come and do a, like a quality control mm -hmm. visit and see what are we doing wrong and tell us. So she did, and it was kind of my undercover way of trying to win Nancy. Yeah. And so when she came, I was like, I'd like for you to meet the children of our farmers. Mm. 
so that you could kind of get a sense of like yeah. the, the people who grow the, culture, the grain. The, right. the people yeah. we're expressing here. Yes. And she told us that everything needs to come out of your area. So, And all of our grains are grown by family-owned farms, all 100% here in Texas. Awesome. So they're... Um, and so she kind of laid out what we need to do. So, I, you know, we kind of listened to her report after being here. She, was, she came for like two weeks and kind of scrutinized everything. Everyone was scared of her, too. And she gave us our report. And she had a lot of things that we needed to, you know, tighten this and that. But I could tell she was proud of what we'd done. She liked it. She yeah. liked it. Yeah. She liked it. Nice. And so I was like, I'm making my move. Uh, <laughs> and I said, Nancy, you've helped us all this way. I asked you many years ago if you would be our master blender, would you reconsider it? And in that night, I was very lucky, a little serendipity. But the thing that happened first was Nancy talked herself into it. <laughs> she started to talk about like all the things she liked. Yeah. She's like, well, I like, you know, I can, I can help you with your master blending, your uh, quality control, uh, the cooperage, this is the, the barrels, uh, the, uh, all of the aspects of maturation mm-hmm. in the, uh, mm-hmm. of the spirit in the barrel. I can train your team and, and help you to establish what you need at every decade to kind of grow into becoming a successful brand and making a, a very, very right. high quality right. Of, right. of whiskey. And I could see she was kind of getting excited about it. Right. And she finished by saying, the best thing is, no one will, no one will ever even know I was involved. <laughs> I was like, well, fuck that, Nancy. I want your name <laughs> on this. And I don't know why I said that that night. But I'm very glad that I did. Yeah. I'm very glad that I did. Um, <laughs> Nancy, Nancy is a very, very highly qualified possibly the most qualified mastered nose in the world. Mm-hmm. Her nose is insured for $10 million. <laughs> it is. She couldn't leave her house during COVID. <laughs> the insurance wrote her a letter. We had to send her <laughs> whiskey in the mail. break her insurance policy? Yeah, it could. Yeah. Wow. So Nancy is a unique person. She's very tough. You don't want to fuck with Nancy. She's very no. tough. And, but she's very nice. She's very, very high standards. And nothing has ever been, nothing has ever left the distillery that Nancy did not approve. And when she didn't approve, it didn't leave, which was pretty painful for our marketing people and our salespeople <laughs> a couple of times. Even painful for me as the CEO. I, I imagine. But she kind of saved our ass a couple of times. So she's very, very, very tough. In our industry, it's a, a lot of, a lot of bourbon brands are kind of focused on a mature, white, straight, male customer sure and most of the brands are kind of built around a kentucky lifestyle sure right and a lot of the brands she worked with they just didn't want a a, a tough woman on the front of their brand as the, the face of their brand hmm. so they literally kept her in a closet for all those years and so she was very good at what she did yeah but she just felt underappreciated yeah. and that's why she felt she needed to become independent yeah and so years later, we, you know, we started to grow and we started to have people that really liked us. We decided we wanted to create a secret society. Um, 
Love those. It's a, it's a very secretive secret <clears throat> society. You can only read about it on our website. Uh -huh. Oh. It's the only place. <laughs> very exclusive. If you're a member of our secret society, don't tell people this, but you, you might or might not receive a secret decoder pin mm. to decode our secret messages. Yes. <laughs> Possibly even more whiskey. Uh, and Moss bourbon. Yeah. There is certain rights and privileges that are given to certain members. Some members can move objects with their mind. Not all members, but some members can. We've got a lot of a lot of very uh, special privileges if you become if you can get in to this very secret society. But we named it the Order of Nancy, so that everybody would always know that Nancy Fraley is our master nose and master blender. Mm. Mm. But there's a secret to getting in. You need to know who's Nancy. That's one of the things. But it's a trick question. This is why I'm not in the society yet. There's two, yes, right, there's two right. Nancys. Yes. Just don't forget that or you won't get in. But I think that recognizing what makes a person incredible has been the key to success of Still mm. Austin. Mm. Uh, my marketing people once wrote me a letter and in it they said, Chris, you are awesome. We love you, and you're good at a lot of things. But one thing you're not good at is marketing. <laughs> you're actually not good. All at those it. feasibility studies didn't prepare, didn't prepare you for me a to be a good marketer. Brand building. They even said, "What's more shocking is you can't see how bad you are." Yeah. <laughs> and so let us show you how good we are. That became a core part of Still Austin's culture. And today, everybody who works for the distillery is an owner in it. Really? Yes. It doesn't matter what your role is, you are a co-owner in I Still Austin. That. I love that. And every, we have 78 people who work for us today. And everybody has responsibility for their area, and they own it. They, they will shock you with what they can pull off. Yeah, no, really I, well. every experience I've had there has is, is, is shocked me. It, it is it shocking, really is. yes. Hopefully you recovered after drinking some whiskeys. I, I was, I was. And, and so the, the, I love, I mean, you're such a servant leader, right? I mean, you're on a wild roller coaster ride. You didn't set out to do this, but you have people in your life and you've encountered people that you've, 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 Support it in a lot of ways. It just started with supporting your, your father, and it started with, you know, and then it was a lot about really putting Nancy and in, in, in her role in Still and, and really, I think, bringing her out to the world and, 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 you know, telling that story. I'm so glad we're telling that story on the podcast. And then even the, the marketing team, right? And it was mm -hmm. like, let them go do what they do, right? And it's, so what do you do? Like what? <laughs> what is your job? I ask myself that all the time. I really don't have any jobs. Uh, I, have, I have basically like the classic three jobs of any CEO. <laughs> Trying to make sure the people that you have have everything that they need yep. in order to be incredible. Right. 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 That's the first thing. Um, uh, 
right, right people, make sure that everybody knows what you're doing. Mm. Sometimes people kind of have a different vision. Uh, and so alignment. Like, alignment, yes. Everybody go in the same direction. Right. And don't run out of money. That's right. it. Yes, yes. Yep. Excellent. Well, we're going to give some time for the audience to ask questions. If y'all have any, start thinking of them. But before we do, I want to talk about your partnership with one of my heroes and fans, Aaron Franklin. I, yeah. I have a competitive barbecue thing. I got a, I'm like whiskey bar. I'm that I love it. And, and you've partnered with him for this ultimate Texas football tailgate challenge. It's, it's also can be found on your website. Yes. Uh, you're the, the, the official whiskey of Texas football. I mean, what, what's going on there? How, how are you, you know, leaning into to Texas and, and, and that community and, and, and partnering with Aaron? Okay. So I, I have to be, I have to kind of play a role of Switzerland when it comes to barbecue <laughs> And I will just say there are many very excellent barbecue Central Texas, Central Texas barbecue joints, but everything outside makers of makers that are very, very, excellent. very, very talented, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and other barbecue regions of the world. And I, I don't, I don't want to speak anything negative about yeah. anybody yeah. at all. But yeah. Aaron Franklin is the best. Yeah, and he's very, very good at what he does. He's excellent. Uh, it's very delicious. Yes. Um, and he's. Let's just say he's very good. He's very good. The, we've always been very community-based, like in everything we do. And we also wanted to kind of open the whiskey category to everybody. One of the things we felt like was there's probably a lot of people that would love this. They just have never really been marketed to. They've never, like, no one's ever invited them to have a whiskey before. Yeah. Um, and so we thought, let's kind of go into some, some, some way, go into our, our world in some ways that invite everybody. Yeah. And so like, you can kind of see that with art that's on the front of our labels. Mark Burkhardt is a, is a wonderful artist. I hear so many comments on the art. The art is awesome. And we work with a lot of artists in our community. And kind of, it's kind of cool for us because we get to shine a spotlight on their work. And kind of cool for them because it's a collaboration that they can actually get paid for their art. That's a yeah. good thing for them. And so with, uh, we, we try to do things with with folks that want to work with us. With UT, they came to us and asked us if we would be the official whiskey of, of the University of Texas. Smart move. Uh, they were, Smart move. I was kind of scared when they came to me. But I, 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 I loved it. I'm a Texas ex. Yes. I, I'm, and I, I came here in 93 to go to UT. And I, I love UT. And so... I was really happy when they asked us. I couldn't, and, yeah, I would love, that sounds like a, a great, great invitation. It is. And I think it was a good alignment with our way of kind of trying to open up whiskey to everybody. Right. Um, a lot of... Including those folks in the SEC, right? That's right. Just we're like going to bring our good whiskey Hell yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, going to be drink, nice. We're going to make good. them drink Austin-based whiskey. Hell yeah. That's right. The, you know, with, with, our, with our brand, we really try to be very inclusive. Um, uh, of maybe people who wouldn't be a target yeah. of the of the traditional bourbon industry, and one of the ways that we do that is being being a brand that's built around Texas, which is not really the center of the world for whiskey, and a brand built around Austin. Right. And I think the Austin lifestyle represents a certain way of life, values, things that we love, things that inspire us. There's something in our, like the creative aspect of this community and, and here at Capital Factory in particular, but you see it like within our arts community, culinary, every aspect of, yep. our, of our 
place. Yeah. People are giving everything that they've got to to create, right. to make something right. that hasn't. There, there, right. a lot of the things that come out of Austin are in of themselves timeless. Right, they're, uh, they're they're contributing to the rising tide of Austin, and it's you know we we're all supporting each other, and, and yeah, and that's our advantage because you go to these other places and you don't you don't get the same welcome, you don't get the same introductions, and that's right. yeah, I think we play our role here, and and you know, but barbecue, whiskey, art, sports, yeah, other comedy we were talking about earlier is yes. coming, coming on hot. I've been trying some jokes tonight. I've got you did know, very good. 20, yeah. Very, very good. 25% very good. hit very rate. Good. Thank you, everybody. But yeah. So. There's a lot of individualism in right. Austin. Right. Uh, right. Being, being proud of what makes you different. Right. Right. That's, that's the Austin. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. But, and blended with the community aspect in a way that, you know, there's no textbooks or, you know, model for society that describes what we're doing here. I mean, it kind of com combines these these ideas of rugged individualism, but still, you know, a community-based group, and 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 but but locally connected. Yes, yeah. and I think that that because we want to bring kind of our values to the world, we thought that one of the ways that we can do that is through one of the symbols that is almost synonymous with Austin, the University of Texas. And it is unique. It stands out from many universities. There's no place quite like it. It has all the aspects of who we are as people. Right. And so when they asked us, we were like super honored that they did. And we've been doing it now for two years. Right. Um, it's been really terrific for us. Uh, it's a great way of connecting with like-minded people that share our values in other places too, because right. Texas, Texas, yeah. are everywhere. Right. So. Yeah, and I, I, in general, it's been terrific just being able to drink in the stadium. Yeah, <laughs> another that's actually a, a good another part. regulatory evolution that's happened in the last few years. I when I, my first Texas football game, we would show up drunk and we would be half asleep by halftime, and the heat. Yes. Y'all remember if you went and, and yeah, and it's 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 changed a little bit and, and I don't ever drink a lot in the stadium, but being able to go have, you know, whiskey or a beer and just just kinda of helps. It's helped. Yeah. It's helped. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Especially what, if it gets cold. You know. Yeah, yeah, especially if it gets cold. Yep. I mean I can't remember any cold game, but yeah. Not many. Not many. Not many. Not many. It's good when it's warm too for me. But yeah. All right. Well, I would love to hear some questions. We got, all right, we got it right back here. Joseph Kopser, feel free to introduce yourselves when you ask the question. So my name is Joseph Kopser. Chris, thanks for being here. Nick, thanks for the hosting. I'm a big fan of the show. But Chris, you are uniquely qualified to answer this question I've wanted to know my whole life. So in full disclosure, I grew up in Kentucky and I moved to Texas in 94 with the army. And so my daughters were raised here. My daughters were taught the Pledge of Texas in their schools. Okay. But in Kentucky, the kids like me were taught that bourbon is only made in Kentucky. So you can settle this debate, number one. And number I two. I told you the audience would have the best questions. The awesome. second question is a round cube or a square cube? I've got to know. So first, how are you calling it? Texas bourbon, when all of us Kentucky kids were taught it's only made in Kentucky by some constitutional thing, and round versus square. Got it. Well, I mean, 
bourbon was started actually in Kentucky. And they, in your state, they actually have more barrels of bourbon than they do people. <laughs> They've got a lot. And, I, and a lot of people that come from there, they're, they're kind of like Texans, like your daughters are becoming, you know, kind of Texified from our culture. Yeah. Say it again. They were born here. They were born here. Okay. Oh, yeah, so they are, they are Texans. Okay. Two Texans, one Kentuckian, but don't hold that against them. <laughs> born free. Um, <laughs> the, the thing I kind of have always observed about people from Kentucky is they, they share with Texas a sense of pride in where they come from, and it is in particular linked to bourbon to an extent that I believe that there are even some people from Kentucky that are born with a little bit of bourbon in their blood at birth. (laughs) It's very, very small amount, but it's a very, very big part of of their approach to life and understanding of the world. And so I have a high respect for Kentucky. And I, I also have to say I have to give a lot of credit to the Kentucky, Kentucky Bourbon Distillers Association, which has had their, no, their number one goal over the last 30 or 40 years as the craft industry has grown, has been to assure that the term bourbon is always preceded by the term Kentucky. It's Kentucky bourbon. It's a, a way of kind of reinforcing their leadership position in the, in the bourbon industry. Bourbon is actually a, it's a product that is defined in U.S. law. There's a, it's a protected term, kind of like tequila or mezcal or scotch. You can't have an American scotch. You can have a single malt made in America, but you can't have a scotch. It's a protected term. And it has what they call standards of identity, which is all the rules that you have to follow to meet the standard to call your product bourbon. One of those standards is it must be made in the United States of America. And so that is how bourbon can be made anywhere within the United States. It cannot be made in a territory. It cannot be made in another country but it can be made anywhere in the United States. It also has other requirements. But I think that as a product, it's carried, and as a brand, Kentucky carries a certain place in our heart. The Kentucky Derby, Slugger, a baseball bat. There's certain things that I associate really, that, that I love about Kentucky. But a lot of Texans drink whiskey. They, they actually love it here. They, they do, we actually do. We, we drink the second most of any state in, in the United States and are actually the biggest, second biggest, next to California, biggest. New goal for Texas right it, there. We're about to surpass yeah. them. We're going to surpass yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Passing them and everything else. So. That's right. Let's go. Um, yeah. So we, we drink a lot of bourbon here. And I, I, I've even said this, I say this all the time because it's true. If there's one thing that Texans love, it is Texas. They actually love it. They're very, very gung-ho about Texas. And Texans love Texas so much, they will actually drink bad bourbon if it's actually made in Texas, because they love Texas that much. And I think that as we... Bourbon, bourbon brands last a long time. 
they last, a lot of them last longer than religious denominations. They last a long, long time. And I think for Still Austin and for the, the brands that kind of reflect who we are as Texans, they will form their own sense of identity that will, it'll transcend over generations. And I, I think that if the current trends continue, which Texas whiskey is quite, quite fast growing across the United States and, and within Texas in particular, and if the investment trends continue, which there are some pretty big ones being made, I, I think that the center of the world can move. It may, it may not always be that Kentucky is the center of bourbon. It will always have the oldest heritage. But there's a difference in terroir of every region. And you can really taste it in the quality of the product, the ingredients, the, the varieties of grain, the weather, all those things are major influencers in, in the, the way that the product tastes. And, and I think that it will have its own identity from that flavor profile and from a sense of who we are as people that will stand out, not in a way that diminishes or takes anything away from any other region, but gives us something else that we are very proud of and can enjoy. Awesome. Awesome. And, and just I'm going to just let, let me just quickly yep. on, on, on Rounder Square. I'm just going to tell you the most important thing is, and I will stand by this 100%, all bar stools need to have backs. Yeah. That is the most important thing. <laughs> if you have a back on the back of it, no matter whether or not you're going round, spherical, or cube, you can, you can lean back and not worry. So, but I, they're both good. Both good. I would try, I would, I would have two whiskeys, one each way. I like how you think. <laughs> I'm Laura with Higher Dragons, and I'm curious about what kind of challenges have you had in production and growing your brand, and then how did you overcome them? Problems with production. In whiskey making, okay, so I learned this from Nancy. The most important thing in making whiskey, don't fuck it up. <laughs> Actually, a very natural process. It, it happens kind of on its own. All of the, it's a, it, it, it's a very simple process. And as long as you never allow anything to cut a corner at any time, and really focus on quality, you will have a, a very good quality of product. If a, if a whiskey gets a fault in it, it cannot get rid of it. It's actually impossible. Once a fault is within your uh, a barrel of whiskey, that's it. And I learned a very hard lesson, which I will tell you about. Our very first barrels of bourbon, some of them did not meet Nancy's quality standard. And we later, this took a few years for us to really be able to figure it out and, and really understand it. But she was like, these barrels, which had cost us about $40,000 to make, this particular little set of them, it's not that many barrels, but it was $40,000, which seemed like a lot of money to us at the time. She said, these have a fault and they need to be destroyed. I was like... <laughs> 
the asset manager in me was like, Nancy, can we keep these on the books? And she was like, no, they need to be destroyed immediately. I was like, so I like, like many people that are in this industry do not always make the right decision. And I told our people, I want those barrels to be put into a shipping container and just held off to the side. We're not going to ever serve them, but I don't want to destroy <laughs> them just yet. Let's wait till we get like some profit coming in before we decide that we're going to destroy our product. And so we did. And so then I was like, are these really that bad? I mean, this stuff kind of gets better with age, right? <laughs> and so I was like, I told John, who's our lead distiller, I was like, hey, in some of the samples, just slip in some of those barrels that are <laughs> the ones that have the fault. Just see what she says. Don't tell her, but just see, see if she... <laughs> like... This is, this is actually the time when I came to know that Nancy's nose was insured for $10 million. She was like, this is very bad. We need to trace it. Like, she found these in a, a blind tasting. Something has gone terribly wrong. Like, she's really worried about these samples. Anyway, I told her, oh, hey, Nancy, Nancy, I just sent you those. They were the ones that you told us to destroy. And we didn't want to destroy them just yet, so we put them in a shipping container and stored them there. But we don't plan to ever serve them. We were just wondering what you thought of them. She was not very happy with me. Um, every year, we now get out <clears throat> a sample of those barrels in, until last year. And every year, they have gotten so much worse. <laughs> like, they really taste bad. So disgusting. Like... Rancid, disgusting. They, we figured out early on why had they, where, the, where did the fault come from? We were working with a farm that had transitioned some land where they had like an actual garden, uh, vegetable garden, into some grain growing areas. And a garlic from previous years got harvested into the grain and it kind of got a little garlic note. In it, which really wasn't too bad until it really matured over several years. <laughs> very, very bad. Anyway, last year we finally destroyed those barrels to Nancy's great relief. And it, it caused a lot of problems along the way, but and it's expensive to just, you don't just throw this stuff down the drain. But I think the most important thing is just don't let anything go wrong in the first place. That's probably my best story on something going wrong. <laughs> It's like marking, marking investment down to zero. Yep, you know, yep. It's, it's kind of a hard one. Well, and there were other ones. I mean, like the, we have about, today we have about 12,000 barrels, barrels under management. Yeah. So this, this was like, about, at that time it was about 30 barrels. Right. That it cost us about 40 grand to make. Right. So. It becomes nominal. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, my name's Alex Smith. Um, thank you for being here tonight. Really, really special to be able to listen to you and hear stories about another Austin business growing up and, and becoming something that's known worldwide now. Where, where do you see Still Austin in 10 or 20 years, and how do you kind of maintain that small-town distillery feel and small-town quality of a small business while also growing a business at the same time and returning capital to yourself and your investors and, and building a bigger business without sort of losing that quality? You know, the thing that we're working on right now is, is kind of along those lines. 
We, we went through a process last year to define the 100-year vision of Still Austin and kind of what's, what's important in that future. I'm not going to plan any longer than that. I'm not going to be here for all of it, but Still Austin will be because these things last for so long. And I'm kind of the caregiver for this phase of Still Austin's life. And I won't always be that caregiver. There'll be other people that have to come after me that look after it. And so I think that when you think about creating something that's going to maybe one day be like the Catholic Church, it's kind of, it's been here forever, it will continue on forever, it's kind of ecclesiastical in that way, you, you need to be very thoughtful in how you make an impact on it. And so for us, it's all about making sure that Still Austin, as a, as a brand, as a whiskey, as a symbol of who we are as Austinites, and that those can continue on in a way that inspires a sense of pride in who we are. We see ourselves, we see the best of ourselves, and we're inspired by our community of people around us and everyone we aspire to be like. And so for us, that meant that it needed to be a brand that was co-created by people within our community. That was essential to its longevity. It needed to have a sense of place to it. We have a lovely tasting room today, but we felt that there was an opportunity to have a larger sense of place that kind of gives us something that we can kind of hold on to that we're very, it's a, more than a lifestyle, more than our values, a place of kind of continuous discovery of who we are. And so place was a big part of that. And we actually needed to make more whiskey. People love our whiskey. And if they keep drinking it like this, we are actually going to run out. We have to make more. And so we need to make a, a bigger operation. And so we were coming up on that time that every entrepreneur dreams of. It's like where you go to bed at night and you're not worried about tomorrow and running out of money because uh, you're actually making it. More money is coming in than is going out. And now we're almost there, 10 years in. I wrote a letter to our investors and I was like, don't you worry, I'm going to turn that around <laughs> and get us back to losing money as much as possible. <laughs> We're going to build a bigger distillery. We've got to invest millions of more dollars into making yeah. more bourbon and yeah. try to establish Still Austin's ability to kind of be a symbol that people can get a sense of who we are. Yeah. And so those are some of the aspects. We've got a big announcement coming up. Uh, I, won't, I won't steal the thunder of our very good marketing people, but we have something that we've we're been working on, and, I, and we've, we've kind of approached it in that way. Well, it, it's just amazing listening to your story, and it feels so emblematic of Austin itself and your growth trajectory and, and the city. And, and really, we've, we're putting ourselves on the global map, and, and you know, we're, 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 we're going to have to hold on to what makes Austin special as we do it. Right. So, Chris, thanks for coming to our place. Thanks for being part of Thank the Capital you. Factory story. I, I do have one parting word, and I might need a glass to do it. Oh, you need a glass over here? Yeah, one, one glass. I have Thank whiskey. Thank you. Yes. yes. Awesome. Yes. Thank there you. Um, 
Uh, and I, I told you this earlier, but I'm going to just tell it for everybody else's uh, benefit. Um, whenever you cheers, always do it with your left hand. And always make eye contact, or it's seven years of bad sex. Yes. And I don't want that to happen to anybody. You guys, you're very hardworking entrepreneurs. I, I know your pain. And I thank you for what you bring. Our world is changing very fast in a really, really good way. And it is because of your passion. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And to make it a little easier, on the hard days, there's a bottle of whiskey for each of you on your way out. <laughs> yes, we have whiskey. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Awesomepreneur. Don't forget to check out CapitalFactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email, nickspiller at CapitalFactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible. And special thanks to Aaron Handworker, who masterfully recorded and edited the show. Come back next week for a whole new episode. Mm-hmm.